as we welcome uh, renowned UK, Ukrainian author and political analyst Oleksiy Haran. Prof Haran, welcome. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much indeed. How is it? Lekka. Do you understand Lekka? Lekka. Yes, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you've been a busy prof. You've been in 13 countries. Tell me you've mastered 13 languages. Well, I know how I know how to say hello and how to say thank you. That's that's the most important. But in your but in your country, it's very uh, it, it's very it's very tough because you need to know how many official languages you have twelve yeah. or something like that. So that's not easy. But I know that how's it is understandable, but everyone absolutely, uh, Prof. I'm I'm wondering if we can have this conversation with a focus on what it's going to take to bring, to bring peace to the region. Is, is that even possible? Oh, that's, that's a very difficult, uh, difficult question. And this is a difficult question for us, for Ukrainians, because we are suffering all the days, uh, every day, and we are bombarded by Russia, civilian population, civilian targets. So this is very, very tough, and we would be definitely we would be very happy to have peace to have peace on the ground uh, and that's why, by the way, we appreciate the African peace mission which came with your president, uh, which came to Ukraine and Russia last year, and this is the first mission of that kind for Africa, you know, to try to mediate the conflict outside outside of Africa. So if we talk about negotiations, this is very difficult. Why? Because Putin continues to Putin continues to think about his aim. And his aim it's not about territory. It's about, you know, destruction of the whole Ukrainian state and Ukrainians uh, as a nation, as an identity. He clearly speaking that Ukrainians do not exist. It's part of great Russian, uh, great Russian nation. So basically, I know that um, sometimes in the countries of global south, you view this war as a war between the West, expanding NATO, and and Russia and Ukraine is a playground. This is not quite. Uh, this is not actually grounded, because. Because what's going on is actually our fight for freedom again against former colonial empire, which is trying to come back. So this is our anti-colonial, uh, anti-colonial war. We are fighting for freedom in general, for our existence. And I hope that African countries and other people in, in the global south and in South Africa uh, will understand it. So we have, you know, from Ukrainian, from Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian side, we have a suggestion. It's ten point, uh, ten point formula of peace, and it includes different, uh, different, different points. You know, uh, for example, very, very pragmatic and very practical. For example, nuclear security. Because we have nuclear power which attacked non-nuclear power, non-block country, and you know that Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. Yeah. Now we have also Russia, uh, first 
it's first time in history when foreign military power occupies nuclear power plant in Ukraine, the largest in Europe. We have the issues of food security, of ecological security, of deportation of uh, Ukrainian children. So uh, now there are meetings regarding this peace formula and we welcome uh, South African approach because you participated, South Africa participated in all four meetings. Uh, and uh, during last meeting in Switzerland, in Davos, there were uh, 80 countries represented, 80. And now the aim is to conduct global summit of peace where different countries may suggest uh, you know, may participate and we have, you know, a broad coalition in order to solve this immediate uh, immediate problems that the whole world face. Yeah. And in this sense, yeah. No, no, I, I, in fact, my question, my second question you've answered already, you, now you're touching on to my, my third question uh, as well. So this, uh, this is not about NATO and, and Russia, you're saying. This, this is about colonialism. But I, I did ask you if we could f- speculate about what it's going to take to bring peace uh, and maybe hypothetically imagine what such a world could look like i'm asking you essentially about instruments of the law that exist that is being put to good use in the icj and the international criminal court should the law not be the arbiters of the kind of dispute that has seen too much death and destruction in your country uh, well, uh, talking about the interim instruments, let's be very frank. If Putin succeeds in Ukraine, it would mean that we would live in the world of jungle. Yeah, that's why I'm the asking you, hypothetically, should yes. the law not be the arbiter on this dispute? And can't we invoke the law for that purpose? Yeah, I, I, agree, with, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, but the problem is that uh, Russia neglects the law, you know. Yeah, there's Russia far too many narcissists. Far too many narcissists in the world, unfortunately. So, hypothetically, you agree that, especially international legal instruments, should have greater teeth. Yes, yes, definitely they should be used, and we, all the countries of the world, they may, uh, they may put pressure on the side which is aggressive, which is violating international law, because Russia, you know, Russia violated all the laws, all the international laws. And your sovereignty, absolutely, is, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but the problem is that, uh, that, uh, you know, words are not enough for Russia. You, you, we need to have a pressure. To, to have a pressure on Russia in different fields. And here, by the way, I think I should mention the project that we have now together with South African experts. And uh, we prepared three policy papers on nuclear security, on energy security, and on deportation of Ukrainian children. So, uh, and these three papers with participation of South African experts, uh, they will be presented actually not far from you. <laughs> On March 11th, uh, there would be a seminar in Stellenbosch University. On March 12th, 
in Cape University of Cape Town and on 15th University of Pretoria and Institute for Security Studies. So those who are in the region, I, I, I invite them. <laughs> Unfortunately, myself, I will not be there, but my colleagues will be there. And uh, again, March 11, this is Stellenbosch University, March 12, University of Cape Town. Discussion on these three key issues, how we may proceed, what are the lessons which can be also drawn yep. from this war, and how can can be applied also to, to your continent, right? Yep. Because yep. Universally applied, universally applied. Um, and I, and I yes. think, and when you look at the, 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 um, the members of the Security Council, I, I, those those permanent members, how they willy-nilly using their powers of the veto to undermine global positions. Um, what, what do you think about structural reform within the United Nations as well? Well, uh, we know it pretty well. That definitely, we need the reform of the UN because, unfortunately, UN cannot. UN may issue the statements, but the tools for ending the war are very, very limited. One of them is veto power. The other is, I would say, under representation of other continents. And I think Ukrainian position, uh, both official and on the expert level, is that we need to increase the representatives, uh, the representation from the global south, including, yeah. from, uh, including Africa. So that's that's understandable. But with Vita power, you know, so, uh, you know, in the chart, in the UN Charter, actually, there is a clause which says that if one side is involved into the conflict or the war, and there is a voting on that, and we are talking about uh, members of the Security Council, permanent members, they are recommended to abstain from the voting. But we know that this is not followed. You know, it's violated all the time. And yeah. basically, if you have the veto power of Russia, which attacked Ukraine, totally unprovoked, unprovoked war, uh, you know, the UN, it's difficult for UN, you know, to make specific, you know, specific uh, steps you know, leading to the end of the conflict. And by the way, this is not only the problem for the UN, because it appears that many international organizations like Red Cross, for example, or International uh, Atomic uh, Atomic Agency, I forgot the exact title uh, in English, but uh, there, uh, there are possibilities to influence the situation on the ground yeah. appear to be very limited. Again, why? Because one side, Russia, is blocking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the omnipotence of countries like Russia, like the USA, like the other permanent members there, uh, needs to find focus and reform within that Security Council. Uh, this is going to be a very important tool uh, for, for a peaceful world. The reason why the United Nations was established uh, pragmatically, because we said that is hypothetic and maybe a pipe dream, even, but we've got to look at what it's going to take for a peaceful world, and that is an important part of the conversation. Let's look at prag pragmatism. 
Russia is scared of NATO. Do you think NATO still has a role in post-Cold War world? I mean, the Cold War was so long ago. Does it still have a, a role to play? Look, the problem is uh, when, when we are talking about, uh, I think we use the term um, expansion of NATO. It's not expansion of NATO. It's enlarging NATO on the request of the countries from Eastern Europe. Right? Those countries who were part uh, of the communist system dominated by Soviet Union or of the Russian Empire. And actually these countries, the Baltic States, Poland, uh, uh, you know, Hungary, former Czechoslovakia, now Czech Republic and Slovakia, they Romania, they wanted to become members of NATO. Why? Because they were afraid of Russia, of what Russia will do so actually this was their will this is the first thing which is important to remember the second as i have said look before 2014 ukraine was non-block country which gave up nuclear weapons and ukrainians didn't want to join nato at all because we believe it's possible to have good relations with all the sides and nevertheless russia which provided guarantees for ukrainian security and guarantees for territorial integrity attack us. So look, what happened after the full-scale invasion in 2022? Sweden and Finland, who were neutral countries for decades, you know, they decided to join NATO. Why? Again, to find the security umbrella from Russia. And here may, uh, may I tell you, that actually what Putin is doing is going contrary to Russian national interest. Mm. Because before 2014, Russia was a member of G8. You know, it was a legitimate partner in many international organizations and projects and, uh, you know, in business businesses what happened after 2014 and especially because the war started in 2014 with annexation of Crimea and Russian intrusion in Donbass but after full-scale invasion you see the strand even more you know it's damaging Russian national interests so my point is that interests of Putin are not equal Putin and people around him the so-called elite you know, they are not equal to Russian national interests. I would say that in Russian national interests, it would be better to withdraw from Ukraine. And that's what we are fighting for. We are not going to attack Russia. We are not going, you know, to yeah. occupy part of Russia. We need just to liberate our... You want your sovereignty. Yes, I understood. Yeah. I'm, I'm chatting to Prof. Oleski Harani, he's Ukrainian author, political analyst. And we're talking about the Ukraine and, and the situation there. There's two thoughts that come to mind in pursuit of peace still. The one is pragmatic. The one is, can't Ukraine play a non-aligned role in that region? Maybe a little Switzerland there uh, and get the best of both worlds. That's what we did. That's what we tried. Because, uh, because as I said, in 2014, not only we had officially non-bloc status, we were non-bloc states, neutral country. And Ukrainians didn't want to join 
uh, any of military uh, alliance. And Russian aggression changed this equation. So basically, you know, the hypocrisy of Putin is he's saying, okay, uh, let's have Ukraine neutral. We were neutral, and Putin attacked us. So we need to find some other uh, uh, forms, you know, how to make the peace uh, secure. We can discuss it. But neutrality, we tried it already. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the war itself. Can Ukraine actually win the war, do you think? I think and we hope that we will win the war. You know, 85, 85% of Ukrainians believe in victory. The, this is a poll from January. And you know, it's now the third year of the war, so it's really tough, you know. But uh, nevertheless, Ukrainians still have this belief. But we are pragmatic. We understand that it's, it appears to be difficult and it appeared to be difficult why because we didn't have enough weapons to defend ourselves i know that many people including in your country you know they are saying why should we send arms to ukraine look if you are bombarded by cruise missiles then you need something to close your skies to defend civilians if you want to liberate uh, to liberate your territories, then you need to have ammunition. So we had a lot of successes, military successes in 2022. So we liberated half of the areas which were occupied by Russians. Uh, last year, there was counter Ukrainian counteroffensive, but it had mixed results. It was successful on the territory of the Black Sea. Mm. So basically, you know, we pushed out uh, Russian fleet uh, to even away from Crimea, to ra- more to Russian shores. And you've, and s- you've we restored s- the Grain Corridor. But, but you've ceded some of that territory. Line. You've ceded some of that territory of, of late. Um, and you're saying 85% of Ukrainians believe they can win the war. I, I'm running out of time, so I want to I wanna have all my questions. Um, I want to ask them all. Um, I, I'd like to know, or I think we all like to know, to what extent um, Gaza... Um, has impacted your war that you are fighting? Uh, whom? whom? The in, Palis- Palestine? in Palestine, in Gaza specifically, uh, that ah, has certainly okay, been dominated. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Look, we need another discussion on the, on the issue. Well, frankly speaking, look, definitely it diverted, you know, the interest, well, not attention of the whole world community to this region and this is a tragic tragic war i would like here to stress that uh ukrainian position here is uh, is based on principle so we support two-state solution we denounce acts of terror we denounce war crimes from any side and by the way ukraine recognized the state of palestine in 1988 and we have full diplomatic relations since 2001 so uh, uh, yes 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 it's uh, it's embassy is right in the 
basically, it's almost in the center of uh, of Kiev, together with Swiss embassy, for, ex- <laughs> for example, in the same in the same building. So, but here I think it's in very important actually to avoid double uh, double standards. Because uh, often we hear from the audience in Global South that there are double standards, that the West is supporting Ukraine, the West is not supporting Palestine enough. Uh, I don't think so. I think the EU is really trying to push things forward, and even the United States are in favor of two-state solution. But what I would like to also urge from the countries, not to urge, but to ask, actually, to make a favor for Ukrainians. Please escape um, double standards when you denounce what's going on in Gaza. You are supporting the people of Gaza, okay, which is understandable, the the Palestinians. uh, But at the same time, some countries are abstaining in the United Nations when it comes to the Russian attack on the territory of Ukraine. I agree with so you. I, think I agree with you. We've, we need to have. We need to have. We've seen a lot of hypocrisy. Principles. We've seen a lot of yeah. hypocrisy, um, and and that's why I'm saying maybe the rule of law is something that we should work on. I think really it's the only thing that bring, can bring peace to this uh, world. And and we appreciate this opportunity to chat with you. Do you want to make a closing comment? It's 11.30 and I need to go to the, news. The closing, yes. The closing comment is that definitely when we may continue discussion, we may have different views. So discussion is necessary. And that's why, again, I am inviting all those who is interested to discussion, which will be on March 11 in Stellenbosch University and March 12 in the University of Cape Town, where three papers would be presented, developed together with South African experts on nuclear safety, regional, oh sorry, on regional security, on energy security, and uh, on the issue of deported uh, deported children. So Prof? I think there would be... We, we're going to follow that. I think there's there's enough opportunity for us to have another round of conversation with you, uh, Prof. Oleski Harani. Thank you very much for your time, Ukrainian author and political analyst.